FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. Um, so, so Brian had sent me some texts, um, ahead of time, some things he wanted me to, to know. He said, make sure that if, uh, you give like a, a recounting of your sighting that I clear space on my hard drive. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things, man, that it happened now over 23 years ago, which is crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to condense that story as much <laughs> as possible, but when I do, it begs questions. Well, wait a minute, why were you there to begin with? Why yeah. were you, why did you have a, you know, a guy dressed in a leprechaun outfit? Why were you naked half the time? You know, yeah. things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so if, I mean, if you want to talk about that, that that's We're going to, we're going to get to it. Uh, before we do that, I have to introduce the show. This is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hi there. And <laughs> we are joined by a guest. We haven't done an interview episode in uh, months. I can't even remember what the last, what the last Busy one was. making movies, dude. Yeah. Shoot. We're busy doing other stuff. Um. Such as, yeah, talking about economics of big footing. Uh, so this week we have on we're on right there, right, right. <laughs> Actually, we should have had you on for that episode. Um, but anyway, we're uh, joined tonight by Scott Harriet, a filmmaker, a a hiker. He hikes. He probably smells because I hear that hikers smell yep. pretty atrociously. Whether actually. I'm hiking or not, I think that's <laughs> right. Right. And Scott, of course, uh, famed for his uh, Bigfoot video. And Scott, I think you and I talked a little bit when we were on the Bigfoot show about this. I watched the video that you shot. And what year was that? Well, now, let's be clear. The, the video, if you're, if you're referring to the... Now, when you say video, do you mean Journey Towards Squatch, Some and Squatching, or the piece of footage The piece the of footage that you shot. Yeah, well, well first of all, there's two pieces of, of video. One mm-hmm. I shot and one that Daryl shot. Right. We each had video cameras. My footage is the one where you see eyes that are going back and forth that I personally witnessed red eye glow from as well as Daryl. Daryl's footage, which I think is the more compelling of the two, is the one that shows shoulder, head, <clears throat> you know, muscly Schwarzeneggerian arm sticking out of a bush uh, type thing. So just, are, you, just, are you 100% sure it wasn't Arnold actually up there? Uh, I checked later uh-huh. uh, where his whereabouts. I think he was making, uh, uh, you know, Conan the Destroyer. Or something. Yeah, Terminator <laughs> Nine or something. Yeah, so it was nowhere in Robin. the area. But um, the thing about that day and that footage that Daryl shot, not only I do I think the, the image is compelling, but it's the fact that the the coloration of this animal uh, coincides with the kid's report, which was approximately three weeks earlier at the base of that very. St- steeply sloped densely vegetated hill okay okay so so, it was light it was a light colored apparently i believe 99.998 percent that it's a light colored 
Sasquatch. As long as we're we're here, we've somehow arrived here. Even though I was planning to talk about this later in the episode, sure. let's yeah. let's talk about this this sighting because we're kind of talking about this vaguely. And anyone who doesn't you know know yeah. you or know about this sighting now, yeah. before we get there, um, I was aware of this video for years years and years before i ever listened to like an episode of the bigfoot show or were aware of who you were or brian or any you know like before i was really into bigfoot stuff so i'd seen this video and my reaction was always and still kind of is i don't see when i watch it i don't see anything yeah but you know it is arguable that i could be you know just insane i I would say blind it's it's it helps if you know and and again I, i say this as someone who i think and hopefully, when <clears throat> you've listened to the Bigfoot show, I mean, I'm 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 a pretty big respecter of the scientific method, you know, and and you know know about the paradelia, paradoilia, things mm-hmm. like that, and roar sharking something, and I, it's a relatively small percentage of people that I've showed the video to who don't see what I'm talking about. But it's understandable there are those, especially if you not know exactly where to look and and whatnot, and um. I wish we got it would be great if we could have like a fourth screen and I could use some kind of maybe in another episode or something. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I'll get your eyes checked. That's what I'm saying. That's 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 what I fit. Well, it's funny because Mark watched it right before we started recording and he could see something. So I think yeah. it's just me. I'll give you I'll give you an example of how strange the reaction to this video had been. The strangest one was I was uh, well, first of all, I had the worst profession uh, for 12 years. For someone who is serious about Bigfoot, I was a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a percentage of people out there think I'm doing some kind of Andy Kaufman thing, where it's just I'm completely sane, dry. It's all it's, and I will tell, and I, and I would just say it's not true. Mm-hmm. That is that it, I am very serious about this, and I've said many times, totally willing to take any type of lie detector test, sodium pentothal. Uh, I'm not paying for it, but if somebody you know wants to get an accredited person to do it, I would. Be more than well, happy I, I can that. arrange that. <laughs> what? And then what we do? We get if we can get Gimlin there too, because I he doesn't seem to be wanting to do that. He said to me once he would be willing, but anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. PG, PGF came up and you were gone. Yeah. Wait a minute. What the hell? We were just. What was this leading out of? Um, <clears throat> the video and my yeah. lack of seeing something. Yes. Oh, yes. So the incident that happened where I was working, I worked for a, a channel called Tech TV about 13, 14 years ago. And I had the video up on a relatively big screen. And there were like four or five people around. And they were like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And it was much like my first reaction to seeing the video because I was just looking so it was so close. Whoa, whoa. A coworker walked behind the people. I, she, I didn't even tell her specifics about this. And she just glanced at it and went, whoa, I told, you know, like she knew generally and she just saw what it is I'm talking about. I mean, it's something that's not, it, it's clearly, it's a whitest object. I am absolutely convinced it is a humanoid form, which therefore leaves two options. And because it also moves, its head tilts out, it goes. So it's either a guy in a suit, which if it is, I find the odds of that incredibly low, given the circumstances, what we're up there, or it's one of these creatures which are believed to be exist that haven't been verified yet by science right um anyway we should you know next time whatever we're at a we're at a big bigfoot convention or something uh get it on a screen and i'll show you what i'm talking about i'll do an outline or whatever but it's 
It's a low percentage of people who, who share your, your uh, inability to see it clearly. <laughs> but, but it happens. So, so don't feel bad. I don't think you feel bad. But I'm I don't. Sorry. Not at all. Okay. Um, Scott, can we talk a little bit about, before we get into some of this other stuff, who you are and kind of like, – because you've talked about – this is one of the things I've always thought is so cool about you is you, you've worked in television. Yep. You did stand-up comedy. Now you're uh, essentially uh, like a super indie filmmaker. I mean, you are one of the most indie guys that I know. That, that's thank you. I mean, I really I take that not just as a as being factually accurate, but uh, and, and you being you know one as well, man. That it, it's well, you know what we're we're in the, we're in a time with crowdsourcing being able to guys like us literally kind of lone wolf maker filmmakers mm-hmm. that if you've done anything before when and when things like Kickstarter came along I'd already made a few films and people seemed to like them so I was in a position to make the pitch better like okay you like these films here's this thing Kickstarter it's not pure charity it's like if you give me 25 bucks you're actually going to get something back you get a copy of the film you get your name on the website <laughs> yeah and you get the exclusive updates. So, um, Squatchfilms.com. Squatchfilms.com. Yes, please write that down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anybody listening? Um, yes. And I've enjoyed it. It it doesn't make a lot of money. Hence, that's see this lovely house I'm in? Yeah. Yeah, it's my parents. It's beautiful. I'm 56. They're 83. So, and, uh, so well, t- talk in the closet right now. <laughs> talk to me about this. I mean, if 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 you don't mind, but like, what is the what is the career path that takes you from like stand up comedian to television or however that rolls, and now you're doing indie filmmaking? Is it just like a love of because you're a hiker? You you go out on the kind of like to tell those that don't know, like Scott makes these movies. I've watched three of them. Mm. Um, um, you go, you go hiking, and then you kind of just document your experiences, and you edit it into like a ninety-minute, and it it flies. I mean, these movies fly by, and and they're very exciting, and you kind of learn about what it what it is like to travel something like the Pacific uh, Crest Trail, Crest and trail. yeah, and Appalachian the Appalachian trail. trail. Finally finished the Appalachian Trail. I did three films of that, four on the PCT. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the how I ended up doing that, I think it was just, you know, you, you make decisions as you go through life along the way. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I think and nobody really can go, well, in 20 years, I mean, people talk about that. I'm going to be doing this. And sometimes that's true and sometimes not. But the point is, 20 years out, never it's kind of an illusion. I mean, you really are only here now. And you can only do, make your decision <clears throat> that you have something, hopefully you, you love and that, at least in this specific instance, make at least enough money to still live with your 83-year-old parents as opposed to the street. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I was always like class clown type of guy. So there was a natural fit for stand-up. Stand-up already started booming in the mid-80s. There was a lot of work. Pilots and whatnot. And made pretty good dough using... Uh, worked mostly in the western half of the U.S. Mm-hmm. There was there was the a- weirdest thing just happened. I have to tell you, um, this is why Scott and I, or Mark and I are laughing. Not we're not laughing at you. There was what sounded like a robot um, kind of. What would you think? Like kind of beep, beatboxing or rapping? Maybe? Yeah. It's like what the hell. It's, I am a cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> 
I really, I really hope the call recorder captured all that yeah, for our listeners too. because that is magical. And then I went into TV and found my <laughs> units were rusting, so I went into independent filmmaking. Uh, so Scott, I mean, are you are you happy with this? Like what you're doing now? Are you happy? You know, you know, relatively so. It's weird. How long have you been making films? I'm curious, Seth. A year, <laughs> one year. <laughs> It just gets worse. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. You know, it's one of these things, man. I've been doing it for it's like 13 years now, basically making a film a year. Mm-hmm. And what's been nice, <clears throat> I mean, the money has slowly increased, you know. I really need some kind of celebrity endorsement. I, I need, if anybody out there, Kevin Bacon, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you happen to be, Jerry Brown, Governor, I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're de- these people are them. all... They're definitely Sasquatch listeners. Every guy you just mentioned is definitely listening to Sasquatch every week. Good. I could see Kevin Bacon listening to something like that. Sure. Um, so, especially with like the rentals and buying on Amazon, I have my stuff up on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And they can definitely, there was definitely a bump, like when Wild came out about the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah. And now Walk in the Woods has come out about the Appalachian Trail. And so I've seen a bump. It's nothing where I'm going to be able to actually eat anytime soon, apart from what I can steal out of my parents' refrigerator. But um, sponsorships. We need to. We need to work yeah, on see, like I getting you. See that that. I mean, you know what? If somebody came to me, I don't like to sponsor stuff I don't use. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I have done that with with some of the packing stuff, like Gossamer Gear, great company. I use their stuff. And I went to a thing last year, and they I, my pack wasn't working, and there wasn't any kind of hey, if you help me. The guy was just cool, and he said, "Here, just take a whole new pack." It was so cool what he did. So he got in the credits of the film. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a deal we made. It was just that he did a cool thing, and I just felt it would be cool to help him out in that way. Yeah. Um, and you do most of this work yourself, or yeah. is or is it everything? I mean, editing, shooting, yeah, all that. I edit. I, I shoot it, direct it, host it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just just literally finished, uh, or ninety five percent finished the logging for. I went to Iceland this year, which is an awesome place. Yeah, and um, which and, and as you know, probably the, the most tedious part of the of the process. And that so now it tends to get a little more fun, mm-hmm. funner. Or, or, or. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if it's because I'm a control freak or I have such high standards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, or because, you know, it's, it's about being the lone wolf filmmaker. Well, why don't you collaborate with people? You know, there is that thing, and I'm sure you know this too, Seth. Maybe you too, Mark, if you're still awake. Is, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> is uh, you know, we have too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to a creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. You start, oh, I want to please this person. I want to, you know, there's something about singular visions and execution of those that, for me, on average, tend to be better productions. See, with with the way we work right now, and it, the way we're working on Beast of Whitehall is completely different from how we worked on Minerva Monster. Minerva Monster, I was working with two other guys, and those guys are now... i got to see Minerva, dude. I gotta, yeah. Because I, I don't even know... Because I like you as an individual, so I, I, I think... I, how your take on it, and how you cut it, and what are you? You seem to me like pretty like open minded. Well, yeah, that's that's so, the thing about Minerva though. Minerva was was edited and and kind of cut by a completely different person. Whereas Beast of Whitehall, I'm I, I shot it with I did all the shooting and all that good. stuff, and now I'm 
editing everything. But even even for, for the next year, we're shooting another movie next spring. So like we're going from one right into the next. But these are all I'm only able to do it because I have other people, um, you know, other people that are helping me out. Whereas with you, you are literally like you're saying, lone wolf. You're out there shooting all the stuff and editing it. And that's insane to me. I don't know how you do yeah. it. Well, it's it's luckily I enjoy editing. Well, part of it because I'm you know I don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So to pay that, and I mean doing something like this, you're not going to make a lot of money unless, of course, you know Kevin Bacon's listening to this, and then he you know goes on Ellen's show and says, you know, you got to go to Swatch Films. I got yes, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I like because man, every cut counts, you know. Yeah. And it's and it's. Um, and if you, if you give it over to somebody that doesn't have the passion or the direct experience you had shooting it, they may be bringing something. They could be bringing something good, a different perspective. Robots back. <laughs> Robot stuff. Wow, that is. I've never seen anything like yeah. this. It's, it, it just randomly. I, I think that's happened on the Bigfoot show a couple times. Oh, it's fantastic, though. It's is really it good. It's wonderful. I can't is there wait. A certain percentage of your listeners who will think it's some kind of uh, uh, malevolent spirit. <laughs> I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of our yeah. of our listeners. No, okay. So let's. That's basically, yeah. how uh, Mister Roboto starts. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Just like it. Sticks is hacking into our feed again. <laughs> All right, so let's. Well, let me know if there's anything I can do if, if you think it might help. Or... No, I mean it's it's so random so far. It's only happened twice in like twenty minutes or whatever. But let's let's cut it back over to Bigfoot. So so you got into Bigfoot when? Because you were out there. You were actually and I don't know that I've heard this. Like, what got you into Bigfoot? And then we can talk about your sure. you know your sighting. I think like a lot of people my age. I'm ninety three. Uh huh. It. No, I uh, when I was a kid. Um, you know, I grew up, I was young, it was in the 60s, a lot of stuff about the Patterson film, which as you well know, I lean toward fairly strongly, I think it's probably a hoax. What? Mm-hmm. That can't be, I, I was listening to this guy and enjoying it, but he just uh, violated a <laughs> main faith of faith. Anyway, um, I remember my dad bought me a book called Year of the Sasquatch, John Green's, one of his first one, and I, I was have just... It. What's that? I, that's, that's the one I have, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's like a red cover. Yep. Yeah. It's it's really kind of funky looking. And I was just at that age. Even, I don't know. God, I must have been, you know, 10. But it just had something about it that didn't, you know, this isn't all fantasy. I mean, you knew, even as a kid, you know, there's this mythological dimension to, to Bigfoot and uh, kind of the kitschy aspect, the fun aspect. But just that he was one of the first people to really go back and find all these accounts in old newspaper. You know, there it is. He mimeographed. He didn't just say, I read. So, no, there is the actual account from the 1880s or 1920, people claiming to see these tall, hair-covered, man-like beings. So it had this um, kind of uh, plausibility about it. And that's what just got me into it. I was kind of into it. Then, you know, not much. And then... There was a, a report in the late 80s up in the Southern Sierra about some screams, and these guys were building a bridge up there. And, and I went, and then I remember going back to my, my college I'd graduated from like five years earlier, and there was one of Green's books in the science library. Hmm. And I just was kind of blown away by that. I go, well, this 
Because I think I kind of got to the point of, oh, maybe this, and then I just kind of, oh, it's just folder roll. But, you know, they've thought enough of this book to put it in the science library. And it is a great book, I think. You know, I mean, it's not that I'd agree with everything in it, but it's, it's you know, uh, John Green's Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us. Kind of a one of the Bibles of Sasquatchery. And that, from that point, just, if I, I just, I like talking about it. I just think it's, I think it's, it's one of the, I feel it's one of the most bona fide mysteries that I believe is probably has truth to it, as opposed to like Loch Ness. I'm pretty skeptical. Of. I, you know, I've, I like to study all these mysteries. I like to read as much pro and con Loch Ness. Yeah. Size of the, you know, but, but Sasquatch, given the amount of area we're talking about, the, how higher primates are known to act, how long the discovery of higher primates in the past took to be verified, and then you throw in the experience that happened to me 23 years ago, it leaves me with the opinion that in all probability there's something to this. There's actually a physical being or a type of being that's out there, along with, I think, obviously, tons of hoaxes, misperceptions, hallucinations, who knows what. <clears throat> I think people have a tendency to, they, have, they get into an either-or thing. Well, it's either completely bullshit or it's true well why can't it be in a sense both you know you have to look at each story individually and uh go from there well what what i was surprised about in um kind of like looking online and stuff is you popped up all over the place back in the day like you were deeply involved in like sasquatchery as you call it um you were speaking at conferences you were on podcasts you were you were all over the place and you were in documentaries you're in a few of these in addition to directing one of them uh squatching and journey wait yeah it was squatching okay squatching starring bobo 13 no but i don't think bobo's in there no he's not i was no he's not no i met i know i know bobo yeah um He's, uh, he's, um, and journey towards Squatchdom, which is, which I did before Squatching, mm-hmm. which was my main incentive for doing that was as someone who took the phenomena pretty seriously back then, this is like over 20 years ago, hearing all these people, I've seen them 19 times. He gets out of a, a UFO with raspberry jam, spreads it on his ball sack, and then runs down. Okay, great. Thanks for helping the rest of us who try to employ a, a scientific uh, attitude toward this. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to make fun of that mindset and those folks. Yeah. Do that. But, <laughs> but watching is a mix of both. It's, it's comedic and serious. But where I was going with this is yeah, is I have noticed a a bit of a drop off in your presence in the community, quote unquote community. Yeah. And is what is that a due to like a general lack of interest in the subject or just a desire to not be a part of this crazy community or what is it? I think that's a great question. You are a good questioner. <laughs> for for um you know, it's like any topic, and I think it kind of ties in, like, people ask, why don't we do the Bigfoot show anymore? Which I still hope if Brian listens to this, that we, I would love that we do, if we did one a year or something. But mm-hmm. I, I really kind of agreed with his decision, because you get to a point, man, there's, you've talked about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you get excited about things like the Sykes Report, and and Brian, of course, loves to get lathered up about Melba Ketchum, who I think he secretly loves. <laughs> um 
but you just kind of you've talked it you've talked it through and there's not and now especially with the interest in Bigfoot so great and so much BS like Finding Bigfoot which is just horrific it's just a terrible show it's horrible it just now it's even more difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff as far as trying to investigate particular sightings you know Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely still find it a fascinating mystery, but um, and I, I and in fact, funny you brought that up. The probable project that I'm doing this next year will actually combine my two main interests in film over the last ten years or ten eleven years. Is there is a new, newly designated trail called the Bigfoot Trail? Cool. Which is in Northern California. Yeah. And in my opinion, it actually really, especially the second half of it, if you're going northbound really goes through some areas that I, if I was betting every dime I'd ever made, I would say there's probably Sasquatches in there, hmm. in that in that zone. Um, of hiking that and then doing a film with people and basically we hike this trail and like what we're doing now, you yak about Bigfoot, pot growing up there. You know, the it's a very cool area. I don't know if you've ever been up there, Seth, but that northwest corner of California where this thing happened to me, where the Patterson film was shot, even though I think it's probably a hoax, Man, you drive up there, and there are so many friggin' hills that if you had something of the intelligence, basic biology of, like, a mountain gorilla, you could easily hide in, in, in these, easily, mm-hmm. and be rarely seen. Yeah. Um, so I think I got off on one of many tangents there, but um, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's not due to necessarily, like, I hate this now. I don't want anything. No, no, I'm just kind of, it's like anything. You do it for a long time, and you've talked it out. You've done, I mean, like, I'll always be so indebted to Brian when he asked me to initially do the Bigfoot show. Mm -hmm. And actually, he was the one who really got me uh, excited and into the Kickstarter thing about doing films. So, Which which have been, your your Kickstarters are are successful like i've i was looking back at because you know you can still yeah. see the old kickstarter campaigns how many right. of you run three or four or what is it done um five okay and kickstarter is is difficult because your competition so so stiff i mean i think it's probably the most used of the crowdfunding sources out yes. there and people kickstarter is kind of cool in that it isn't just your buddies necessarily supporting your your campaign but you can you can draw in people from outside of your little your niche circle there but it's very difficult and also if you don't hit your freaking goal you're not getting a dime right um well- yeah, this kind of goes back <clears throat> to what I was saying earlier. I was mm-hmm. I was really fortunate when it started to catch on because I had already made four films and they had done pretty well as far as, you know, and I kept email addresses of people who bought my films. And so to anyone listening who was thinking about doing a Kickstarter, it is certainly not. I'll just put it up there. Even if your idea is great, yep. you got you to gotta promote, dude. you got to send it. Yep. I recommend you send individual emails mm-hmm. to anyone that you know you have an email address to and you think it would be cool with them who's bought your stuff. I mean, you can have a basic kind of boilerplate, but don't send this MailChimp crap, you know, where it's obviously a a, a, a widespread thing. Personalize each email, man. Say, hey, dude, what's going on? Blah, blah. You know, I mean, not don't say blah, blah. That's <laughs> but <clears throat> and just, and you know, again, the thing about Kickstarter there is a reward aspect to it, meaning mm-hmm. it isn't just, hey, I need money for this. Can you help me? It's like, no, if, if, if you pay X amount of money, you, this is what you do get in return. Mm-hmm. 
autograph DVD download the exclusive updates. Like I think it'd be a great thing for you, man. Is is whatever your next project is and you're doing it, have that as one of the reward things. Is that things you would you know you get more specific with your backers. You mm-hmm. you give them more information about what's going on, and then all the way up to like five. Which I it surprised the hell out of me, man. I swear to God, it, it really like with mine the hundred dollar level was. You get the autographed DVD, you get the download on the website, uh, exclusive updates, and then you get your name in the credits. And I thought, who's going to do And, you know, people would do it. People love it, yeah. Yeah. And then all the way up to producer status. Yeah. You know, you get, so. um, We did all that. that (laughs) We we copied you. On on Minerva, on on Minerva, we copied almost that exactly. I mean, we did. I, 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 that's great because. That was me looking at several things, and so that you know, put, and again, you put yourself in the shoes of somebody who might want to back your stuff, and that seems pretty cool. But I'm still pleasantly surprised how many people have done beyond, you know, like the twenty five. I like honestly, I think personally, the twenty five dollar one like is is a really good value because you get the film, and you do get things other folks wouldn't get. Pretty re- so fifty. Well, if I had that, why would I need the D? But see, people like the autograph. You can't autograph a you know, a, an MP4 file, mm-hmm. not yet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know. I, I think it's it's a great thing for people like you and I. It's a so, and what's great about it? It's just you throw it out there, and if they want to help, but there's no, you know, it's the old story. You don't have to do with producers. Yeah, okay, we'll give you ten thousand dollars. Listen, I want a little couple booby shots in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Throw like an exploding Bigfoot head in there. That would be, you know. So there's no. You're still comfortably in charge mm-hmm. of your project do you do you have any intention of combining you know kind of bigfoot with what you're doing now in in like a future project because i'd love to see your kind of and i know you've already done two of them but i'm talking about the way the your outlook on bigfooting now has to have changed dramatically from what it was like when you did your last like bigfoot centric documentary yeah. I, I really would love to see you like revisit Bigfooting. Yeah, well, like I said with this new project, maybe, actually as you say that, maybe I do infuse that a little more if I do the Bigfoot trail. Because it's only a 360-mile trail. Mm-hmm. It'll take about three weeks to do it. I kind of want to have a bunch of folks who I've met in my other films go along with it. Dude, you can come out. Seriously, open invite. Mm-hmm. You want to hike 15 miles of it, 10 miles. People I know either as a backpacker or interested in Bigfoot out in those areas, which I consider one of the primo areas getting, you know, getting good footage and, and yakking about it around campfire on trail off trail. See, this would have been the perfect opportunity for you and, and Brian and Sam mm. that they get the entire Bigfoot show crew together and go, I still think Brian's afraid to do it because he knows I'm going to start talking about uh, <laughs> kill or no kill. Yeah. But I'll make. I, I would be willing to to uh, not concede that point because mm-hmm. I'm for the. Oh, sorry. For those who don't know, I'm adamantly no kill to prove it. Whereas Brian, um, not only wants to kill it, but uh, he wants to uh, do gnar- gnarly things with the body sexually. So I think. No, he doesn't want. To. <laughs> Actually, I want to say this for the record. It's not that, and I don't know if I've ever said this when we said this on the show because we get in pretty heated discussions. I mean, it was pretty serious. Seriously heated. Mm-hmm. It's not that I think like if Brian's group, which which is trying to get a specimen, kill mm-hmm. one to verify it, and therefore 
maybe help other members of the species, that could actually come about as a result of that. So I don't want to say oh, it wouldn't happen, but I'm saying I my argument has been be more patient with technology today. I think it would be much more humane and probably more information garnering to work along more of find if in fact these things exist to tag them uh, some kind of using utilizing nanotechnology and then again this is all privatized this would not be dealing with government and you would have you'd have to keep it really quiet but let this thing live its life collect the, a shitload of data and then when it dies you retrieve the body his argument back is, well, they're running out of time. They could be, blah, you know, and I'm... Well, I was just going to trumpet that same thing, because I'm a member of the NAWAC, so I was going <laughs> to... <laughs> so I was going to echo the same thing, but... Um, all right, so, Mark, do you do you want to step in and ask anything? Because you're sitting there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just taking it legal counsel, actually. <laughs> Dude, and you you're fine like... so far. So. <laughs> That's awesome. No. No, it's cool. I, it's funny because as you were as you were talking, I mean, I realized that I own your DVD, the Squatching one. Mm. I got it years ago, and this is way, way before Sasquatch was a thing. But I just yeah. really loved the tone of it. I mean, it captured something that nobody else really had done up to that point, oh, which thanks. was really to emphasize kind of the the fun and the wacky side of this whole thing. And that's okay, you know. It's nothing. It's just. Uh, embracing the fun of the, the chase as it is. Yeah. So yeah. I think, really you, enjoyed I think it. you have to, especially in something like this, you have to at times fight to keep that sense of humor because, um, yeah. And, oh, and then just the whole, and, and it helps to not just emotionally, but it kind of coincides with having, I think a proper scientific attitude toward this. What happened to me 23 years ago, can I absolutely say without a doubt was a Sasquatch? No. But I honestly, my opinion, based on what I actually saw with my own eyes and the subsequent video within an hour after it was shot by Daryl being right there with him and contemplating all other possibilities of hoaxing, misperception, I still strongly believe that in all likelihood it was. It was not just one but two. Should I talk about that briefly? Why I think it was. Too- well, can we? Well, let's let's. Is there a way we can just go ahead and tell your? I mean, do you mind recapping your sighting story? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've done it a hundred times. I, my only concern was that you had mentioned because I completely brain farted and forgot about. I told myself write that down about. And actually, I did write it down, but I was watching like the Packers game downstairs, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I saw your text. Um, if you're fine with it on time, uh, I, I, yeah, on. just just give like. An abbreviated Cliff Notes version of okay. the Scott Harriet sighting. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I like the way you put that. So, okay. So, 1992, September. At that time, yeah, I was I was into it. You know, I knew a few people at Money. I knew Moneymaker. Well, no, I didn't know Moneymaker yet. It's funny how Moneymaker, I mean, he was really into it then. And I'll tell you how we got to know each other. But what, an idea that had just germinated within the last probably year or two then, 91, 90, 92, was this, the idea of call blasting. You know, shooting out um, gorilla, maybe even orangutan, and or purported Sasquatch screams using a big speaker in the wilderness in hopes of either, A, something to verbally respond or something to come check, check it out, check you out, check the source of the sound out. 
So I was really intrigued by that. So I actually called the little information booth, as it were, in Willow Creek. And those familiar with Willow Creek know, you know, it's a town that Bigfoot Burger, Bigfoot Golf, it, it has the Bigfoot uh, vibe there. And, uh, and in my opinion, is an area where there probably are actually Sasquatch. And but plus also the economic incentive to keep it. So that's another, you know, tricky thing to deal with. Also the Hoopa the Hoopa reservation right there, just north of, of Willow Creek. So I called the the booth because I wanted to know if there were any mule or horse packers in the area. The lady I talked to, I didn't tell her why initially. And she goes, I, I don't know of any who live around here. And then I broached the topic of Bigfoot to her and I just said, Well, what do you think of Bigfoot? True or false in your opinion she goes well i've lived here a long time i think she said most of her life and she said frankly i'm skeptical but i know a lot of people around here who genuinely do believe have seen something found a print whatever and then she said you know it's a little odd you asked me this because i don't get a lot of bigfoot questions again this is 1992 but just yesterday a guy called here very emotional bent out of shape trying to find answers questions because his son and his son's friend, this is about 25 miles as the crow flies near the mouth of the Klamath River approximately north northwest of Willow Creek they'd come running back to the house saying they had seen this approximately 6 foot tall, whitish beigeish, grayish uh, hair like covered being (coughs) looking at them on on the top of this um, embankment so I was able to get his um, number called him. I talked to him for about a half hour, and what I was convinced of after a half hour was that these kids, in all probability, had seen something at the very least that they couldn't explain, giving known, you know, scientific parameters of mm-hmm. existing animals. Right. So, as it turned out, I had like four days. Picked a buddy of mine up. I drove from Los Angeles, like seven hundred miles. I wanted to get up there as soon as possible to interview these two kids. Picked a buddy of mine up on the way, very kind of skeptical dude, another comic, great, two comics going up to, you know, that, that, that looks great on paper. And we interviewed these kids, and we talked to them separately. And after talking to both of them, got no contradictions between their stories. Are those, are those interviews on tape? They are not on tape. Okay. They, again, it's 92. Yeah. And no, we, we, did we I'm trying to think, no. If, I'm trying to think of Dan Wood, but he wasn't really into this, and so... But that's a great question. No. I mean, maybe. Maybe Daryl? No. To the best of my knowledge, no, they're not on tape. Okay. So after talking to them, that was kind of like another little layer of credibility. When I was talking to Daryl on the phone, I said, this sounds like this could be something. Talked to the kids themselves directly. Another, They took us to where they said it happened. They'd been looking for, for snakes in this dry creek bed, and... The one kid was a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old, and the 12-year-old said he looked up, and it was approximately, he said, approximately 100 feet away, standing on top of the embankment, fully exposed, except for, like, from the knee down, roughly in that area. It was standing in some ferns, but it was so just standing there and looking at him and just staring, not acting malevolently or offering candy with a top hat and a monocle. You know, it just was looking. So he sees it, and... The other kid's is like a ways down that way. He, and he's kind of, come over, get over here, get over. So he comes over. He says he sees it. Approximately, what, 10, 15 seconds. Again, some of these numbers, maybe it's been so long, so the exact recollection may be a little foggy. But the, the core, I think I'm 
getting pretty exact is um, they looked and then and then I think one of them said to the other, is that one of those, those Bigfoot or whatever? And then they, they started freaking, and they started running to their right to go back to the home. And as they did, one or both of them said, when talked to, that it started, it just turned and started walking like a human. Based on their description, I mean, it was clear that if, in fact, this is what they saw, it wasn't a bear. First of all, light-colored in that area, none. It's upright. No snout. They, they described it like like a man, kind of like a man, mm-hmm. human-like. So we go to where they said it was standing. There were was one or two interesting indentations in the in the vegetation, but you know, no sand or mud that would have clear toe delineation. So that was kind of interesting. But it was it was it was basically the veracity of their story that got again added that other layer, right? So now what? Well, where this happened, dry creek bed, supposedly it's over here standing. And when it turned and walked back, it was heading back in the direction of the base of this very steeply sloped, densely vegetated hill. And I don't know if you've ever been out to the spot, Seth. It's pretty easy to find. It's like just a mile off of um, a mile, almost exactly (coughs) off 101 up there. It's called Hunter Creek Road. Anybody listening, they want to take Hunter Creek Road, and then you look across, and you see the hill with the big, gigantic tree on it. That's the hill that has happened on. Sorry, I've got a little sinus crap, too, so okay. pardon me. No, that's good. Oh, I love, I'm love. i loving it. Oh, God, that's got to sound good robotic. I'm going to actually edit that and kind of add an echo to it. And that's <laughs> okay, good. So, so what now? Well, what we noticed... And you look at this hill, and again, it's just this, you can't even see the hill because all the trees and the vegetation are, you know, blocking the view of the actual dirt. Mm-hmm. And you see this gigantic tree up there. But you can see near the ridgeline at various parts, there's an old, what apparently was a logging road up there. So I kept in contact with the father over the next few weeks, and we were trying, what, what if anything to do? So we decided plan of action would be to, <coughs> excuse me, to go up the hill and look for any potential footprint evidence on that old logging room. Mm -hmm. That seemed to be a reasonable thing, though. In the meantime, Daryl, the father, finds out that this hill is a privately owned hill that goes back quite a few miles. Like, you have the hill and then the land going back with subsequent hills is owned by this older couple. And so we decide, let's get permission to go. Let's just tell these people the hell we're doing because you know it's kind of it's rural up there i think it'd be cool about it plus at the base of this hill there's intermittent barbed wire that's how we kind of knew that well this is this is it still private property was it private property whatever and um so we go talk to the people uh, we tell them the story and the lady looks at us and goes oh yeah we know they're there very matter of fact so now here's another little layer of credibility here's the lady who owns the land she doesn't seem like a, you know, an evil landowner like in a Scooby-Doo episode. Why, yeah! Of course! <clears throat> she says we're welcome to go up that hill anytime. Just don't bring tons of people. We really like, like to bring guns. We told her we weren't interested in trying to harm one, but we just want to investigate. I think we told her about the, the logging road theory. Scott, so sorry about that. <clears throat> Wait. No, you're on. fine. You're fine. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> 
pure heroin. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm still up to hell. <laughs> and we see. <clears throat> That'll kick in in a second. Um, it's the good stuff. Yeah, that, that is good, good stuff. And um, so, I, and I don't think we told her that. And again, these folks live like three, four miles away, and they're older. And we're still trying to keep it on the down low. We want to tell people when we're going to go up. And I and I don't I don't recall us telling the next day we were going to go up. But the next day we so we decide to go up. And near where they said this thing was standing. We tried to, you know, what a straight line would be back toward the hill. We said we'd stop there and just start making our way up. <clears throat> well, you get under the, the canopy of that tree, and it, it's, it's, it's fair to say it's a pretty spooky-looking hill. It's steep, especially near the bottom. There's a lot of thistle, so you're dealing with that crap. No real trails, no real – I don't think we saw any bits of trash on that hill. Like, just it's just not something – oh, let's go, go up this really steep, densely vegetated, spooky-looking hill. It just – even though in this valley, no no more than got a tenth of a mile away, there's 50 homes spread out in this valley. But in one sense, it might as well have been 10 miles away because it's just kind of this foreboding edge to this wilderness there that mm-hmm. you just goes right up. Okay. <clears throat> so we start up the hill, and it's a very zigzaggy affair. We're, we're you know, going up. It's steep, so steep at times you're literally using these gigantic Jurassic Parky ferns to like pull yourself up. We go over to the left and we find this spot, but it's too barren. It's too steep to go up. It, it, and then we go to the right and it's really dense. I mean, it's like this, literally, like a machete, no kidding, would have helped. But we finally, after like an hour and a half, two hours, we zigzag. And again, our... our our beacon, as it were, was this huge tree I was talking about. You could see it at a lot of places, even because it was—it's gigantic. It's probably—it was, I think, a Douglas fir, maybe, maybe, maybe a hundred feet, hundred and fifty feet. I mean, big, big, very clearly stands out on this hill. And so you could see it when you were looking up the hill. You could, oh, there's the tree, and we go there. So we could get to there, and then we know if we kept going straight in a straight line, we would have to eventually run into that road. So <clears throat> we get to the tree, and at that point, the hill kind of goes to see if we can. The hill goes from about that level of steepness. Here's the tree here, or here's the tree steepness. And then once you get past the tree, roughly it kind of leveled out to about maybe about 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. So it, it flattened out quite a bit, but still a lot of vegetation in there, a rhododendron and whatnot. We get about 60 feet past the tree. And we're just we're like, oh, here's another wall of vegetation to go, what are we going to do? And then I noticed approximately 40 feet up the hill, again, at about a 10-degree angle, through a lot of vegetation, there was this darkness <clears throat> that was low, part of which was a fallen tree. So they're shadowing, pretty big tree, I would say. I don't know, maybe like that, that, that round of a tree, and it fallen, and it rotted a little bit. So there was like darkness on the ground <clears throat> so it stood out I mean, green 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 dark so it caught your eye i remember just looking at it and went what the hell and it looked like in roughly the center of that darkness were these two pretty big brown eyes looking out of it like it was back shadowed you had like a shadow line here and the eyes were just behind it so you couldn't make out any facial definition but you could see what looked but, they, but it wasn't moving it looked like ice. After about 30 seconds, they started swaying 
very slowly like this. Just back. So it was definitely an animal. This was moving. There was no wind. <clears throat> well, we don't feel, you know, and I taped, this is what I taped. And I taped it about for about 10 minutes. <clears throat> and we're making, you know, I remember doing the, who was the guy who said he was kidnapped by one in 1924? Ostman. Ostman. Soka yeah. Soka. I started saying Soka Soka. Yeah. Like, you never know. This is a big... And again, the only reason I'm thinking, because the kid's story is valid, it's at the base of this hill, but I can't... See, but it's low, too, so it's not like this, oh my God, it's a Sasquatch. It's like, what is this? Pretty clearly came to the to the conclusion quickly, it wasn't a bear. Bears don't stare you out. Um... It seemed its behavior was almost more like you would expect an owl to look at you, but it was clearly too big. I felt to be an owl, and and it, another reason for it not being a bear, it's because the the face, what you little dappling you could see, appeared to be relatively flat. A snout, pretty sure, would have been out in that light to a degree, something protruding like that. So it was just kind of again we weren't freaked, but ten minutes chimpy noises what are we going to do there it is what's going on in the swing well let's walk toward it see if it'll move and we because again we weren't getting any kind of fear or no fear generating in us or anything so we take like one or two steps toward this thing and pretty quickly starting like at the center of, of the eyes both eyes i the best way i could describe it is like if you saw if somebody had two lit cigarettes in their eyes but they hadn't dragged on in a while so the ash was covering it but as you take that step or two all of a sudden both are being inhaled on it and just like I mean it was like fortunately it didn't make that noise Mm -hmm. but it was red it was (coughs) I would say (coughs) I would describe it the way I've described it before 60% of the intensity of an exit sign in a darkened movie theater Mm -hmm. so as soon as that happened and immediately after I changed my underwear, mm-hmm. the plausibility slash probability that this was one of these things for me increased quite a bit. It went from about here's a one to ten. It was like maybe here, and then it went up to about there. Because, as you well know, and anyone listening, there is in the literature of sightings and Native American tales, with <coughs> apparently with these types of creatures, if in fact they're real. Is this strange, bizarre red eye glow associated with it? And that's what I just saw. Not just once, but twice within about 10 seconds. It kind of went... I didn't think it at the time, but after going back and researching, what I think happened was, whatever this animal was, its eyes dilated. Because I I learned after the fact that mammals, their eyes dilate when they get scared. Uh, It's like a defense mechanism. It lets more light in, and so theoretically, therefore, sees better. So here's this animal. I would guess the eyes are probably like, I'm trying to scale this to my own face, you know. I would say a little closer together than mine and more circular, both of them more circular. And that stopped us. I mean, it was it was freaky, dude. It was, what the fuck is going, excuse my language. What the hell? God, I'm so sorry. Hold on. I'm just going to go into my spit rag. No, you're good. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> This guy was good. I was believing him until he, like, harked one up into his dish <laughs> And um, so that really froze us because it was like, well, is it scared? Does this mean it's going to attack? What? So we stopped. 
and again, like I mentioned, it happened twice within about 10 seconds. It's kind of like dilating and then, and then what I assumed later to be dilating and then like it opening up and then this redness coming from the back. And again, I don't attribute like paranormal stuff to Sasquatch. I just think if this in fact was one of these things we saw, it's just the shape of the eye and the way that the, the, the light refracts off the back of it. Mm-hmm. So that stops us. Now what do we do? <clears throat> well, we both don't want to go toward it. We don't have a gun. We have no pepper spray. What does it, because it was just, you know, red in nature and warning, whatever. So I thought, what if we, where we were, we were very close together, like Daryl, we were either side by side or he was just behind me, I think, that if we separate, if we go, it's out here, right? If we go this way, apart from each other, maybe instinctually, whatever this is out there might think that we're trying to surround it. And as a result, maybe it gets up and goes in the opposite direction and then we can see fully what it is so I start going about I get about 15 feet let's say down to the right of Daryl Daryl would tell me later he went to go left but it was very thick right here so instead he turned back this way and was heading back toward me and he said but as he turned this way he said peripherally he caught a glimpse and I actually will try to get up and describe maybe do this a little if I can see he said he saw what looked like a human-shaped sidestepping. In other words, kind of in the same, not where the eyes were per se, but in the same general area. So it was kind of like going like, oh, I'm going to use the rollers here, but imagine this is a step, like just going, you know, like like sidestepping over and then freezing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I heard him. I, I mean, I'm 15 feet away, maybe still moving, maybe because it's very thick. This vegetation, as you move three feet in it, you can't see what you just saw. So I'm 15 feet away from him now. I can't see what he's, what he's, I hear him like, uh, okay, and I look, he, his camera, again, 1992, was this behemoth VHS camera that you literally put VHS tape in, probably that that big. Mm -hmm. I look back, and he's got this thing, he's not pointing at the ground. He's, look, he's like looking up. I was taping whatever this was low down. Now he's like, so I'm over here and I, just, I can say, okay, uh, excuse me if I'm crying at this moment. It's right here. His voice is like an octave higher. You can actually <coughs> hear me on the original tape faintly going, take it easy, take it easy, trying to calm him down. He tapes for roughly 30 seconds. Can't remember if I crept up back toward him or whatever but he taped for about 30 seconds and then the camera goes limp in his hand and he turns to me and he's got like tears in his eyes he's he's basically crying he's like and he's whispering he's like, it's right there he's like look uh, this is I'm looking at you he's I'm me looking at me he's like dude it's right there and he's like it's right there I swear to God, it's right. you know he's like freaking out and I have never had this experience where it literally like was fear mojo was coming out of him and I had to keep it out of me. He was freaking out and I was trying to be calm and so what do we do? Well again, we have no weapon. We're way the hell up this hill. He just taped something. I mean, maybe he's just freaking out. Maybe he's roar sharking, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, discretion being the better part of valor, I figure, well, let's get the hell out of here because he's crying He's whispering. So I don't know how far this. I have no idea. And I'm not. People said, "Well, why didn't you just walk right in and go?" I don't know if you would have done that, yeah. given how frightened he was. 
So, let's get the hell out of here. And again, a lot of stuff is around, like three, you move three feet, you can't see where stuff is. So, go down, we'd stop, we'd listen, nothing was following us, there was no smell that I, that I, besides my shorts. And so, you get, and I'm anxious to see this video. And I pop the video in. And I remember putting it in, and the TV was low down, and I remember it was so anxious, I'm relatively close to the TV, and I play it once, and I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Maybe he was just freaking out, because we definitely saw these red glowing eyes just a few minutes before that. Maybe he's just, you know, and what the hell? So I rewind it, and I remember freezing it and stepping back, maybe 10 feet back. And I remember just looking and going, holy, and I just looked away. And I remember saying to myself internally, be objective, be objective, don't roar shark this, you're into Bigfoot, consider all other rational possibilities, something to that effect internally in my mind. And I look back at the screen, and about 30 feet directly in front of him, sticking out of the side of this rhododendron bush, is what appears to be, and when most people I've showed this see what I'm talking about, and we'll get we'll get a thing one day, hopefully. And you don't have glaucoma, do you? I probably do. Okay. Is this like Schwarzenegrian mountain gorillian looking whitish? And on the video, it appears milky white, sticking out of the side of this bush. Like you know how mountain gorillas have a big belt, they have a big deltoid muscle mm. bulges out, and then it kind of goes down to a bicep tricep. Well, that's what it looks like, but it's not like dangling like this if it's an arm. It's bent at the elbow. So it's clearly not a tree of any type. First of all, it didn't match any tree there, and plus it would be a tree that's hovering in the air because it's this white object. It's about, my guess would be about that wide and about, and this is distorted because of I'm trying to do it closer to me, but I'd say probably about that wide and probably about, I don't know if you can see it, about that, that high. I mean, big, muscly. And so I'm like, okay, if that's what that is, then it stands to reason that let's say this is, or I'll use this shoulder, the opposite shoulder. Although, no, I'll use this one because this was its left shoulder, if it was one of these things. Is It stands to reason that if this is a upper arm, a humanoid upper arm, that there should be something at a 45-degree angle resembling a head. No matter how obscured, you should be able to see something there. So I remember going back to the screen and looking up, and there behind light, either two or three little branches at approximately six foot, I would say right right around six foot-ish, you see this chrome domey, whitish, head-like thing. But here to here, it's black just dark. And what appears to be here appears to be protruding somewhat, like a protruding brow ridge. You can't see where this connects to this because there's vegetation right here. No. Okay, so I said, okay, so it matched that. um, Found something, looks like a head. This thing looks like an upper arm. Well, now what? Well, let's movement. Like I mentioned before, we were fortunate. There was like 
no wind that day. Virtually no. You look at the, the video, you can just, you don't see it. It's like a still life. And if you go back and watch the footage in that, I believe it's actually 29 seconds where he's holding steady on it, you see twice this theoretical head at six feet do this. Here's the branches, right? I'll do the head. That <clears throat> kind of approximate. Well, no, actually with the hat would be better because it gets more chrome domey. So chrome domey and then a couple branches or three branches like this. It's close. And then it does this. All right, who are you waving to? Anybody? My, my, my dear wife. I'm sorry. Say hi to her for me. Scott says hi. Out slightly, and you hear now as I'm watching the tape again because when I was watching the first time, you you hear Daryl go, "Uh, okay, excuse me." Like he's, what is he reacting to? But then you see like when when this thing goes, the first time, mm-hmm. that's when you hear one of those. You say, "Uh, all right." It does it once, holds goes back, I believe it's eight seconds it holds, and then it, it does it again. You see the head tilt out, and that's when he starts freaking out, and the camera goes off, and he starts crying. Quick side story to this, just to let you know. <clears throat> we got asked to be interviewed on, um, well, first we were interviewed on Ancient Mysteries, and then there was a, there was a screw-up when D- Daryl sent them the tape he said, we want to see the original tape. He sends them the tape, but he didn't cue up the tape. When we were heading up that hill, halfway up, he thought he was seeing, he thought he saw something. So he's taping and he's looking as goes, I, you know, and I've looked at that footage and I, and I don't, maybe there is something there, maybe there, but I don't see anything in that tape. So that's what they used. The first thing they saw in the tape, so they used the wrong portion of the tape. So you remember the show Sighting? Sightings asked us to be on. By that time, Daryl Daryl had kind of wigged out on the old thing. He, you know, his wife left him, apparently, partially, or maybe even more fully. He became so obsessed with this phenomena, she was done with it, and he ended up moving to Montana, whatever. He, so he couldn't and or didn't want to be interviewed. But he sent me the copy of it, or a copy of it. Because I told them when Fox wanted to interview me, yes, I'll be interviewed. But this time we're going to show the right tape or the right part of that tape, not the initial thing. So they did a they did a very smart thing for verification. When I got to the studio, there was the first producer from the first thing. He wanted to be there to verify it, and I thought that was great. So we showed him a tape, and he verified that this was the footage that was initially sent to us. And because Daryl didn't tell them about the thing where the shoulder and the head was, that's where the screw-up was. So that was smart. They did it, and he did verify that it was the same footage. All right, I'm almost done. So I remember there was this, I think it was a German dude, and he's looking at the screen, and where you see the the head tilt out like this and do this, he goes, well, you you have to understand that, you know, when you hold the camera in the slight movements, it can give the illusion that something out there is moving. And he's correct, that can't be. But it was like one of these common sense things. Also, when you look at this footage and you finally see whether or not it's actually a head, it clearly moves by. I mean, common sense would tell you that's not due to camera movement. But he said we can test this and determine. So he did something to do with the edge of the video frame, and you can uh, put in some parameters that determine whether it was due to camera movement or the object itself. He runs the test, and he was so cocky before it, and afterwards he went, well, whatever it is, it's moving. 
So that was a nice bit of fabrication. So um, the next day, we went back up with two more people. I'm sorry, see how long this takes? See, if I had left any of this out, it doesn't. Anyway, we go back up. Nothing's there where the eyes are. Nothing in the shoulder head. But approximately 20, 30 feet behind where the shoulder head thing was, an incredibly dense stuff we crawled through on our hands or knees, parted this vegetation, and um, there is roughly this 25-foot long, 15-foot wide nest. Clearly, pretty obviously, some type of animal had been bedding in there, matting it. It had been matted down. I mean, it wasn't a you would, anything you'd look at until wind caused this. It was... It was weight had caused this, and what other weight would there be other than some relatively large animal to do this? So we get in it, we sit, and it reminded me completely, mountain gorillas usually nest near the tops of hills because it's a prime defensive position. At the base of it, of this little thing, you can see a little, look like a hole in the vegetation. Look like something or things have been crawling through. That's what it appeared like to me. If you went through that just to the right, you'd be where the eyes we saw. And if you went just left where the shoulder head object was. We went up to where the eyes we had seen the previous day, up to that log. And in my opinion, and Daryl concurred, having been there, that area under that log was not big enough to accommodate what the shoulder head thing was. So what I think, analyzing, taking everything that I directly experienced both of those two days, I think the likely scenario is this, that there was two of them there, maybe more, but who knows, but what we saw, I mean, if these things are real, they have young, and I think it was probably a young one that got curious, was checking us out, we happened to see it, mom or dad or big brother is back in the super thick stuff. And when we made that potentially threatening move of separation, uh, like any good big mammal, it moved to get in between the young one and us. People have said, well, what could it, could it have been another animal and maybe it was a big or a guy in a suit? And I got, it just, when you start thinking about that, it just doesn't make any sense. First of all, no, if there was a guy in a suit there. There was no way an animal that the size was, it had to be at least as big as a big raccoon. At least that big. It's not going to be waiting around in a fairly exposed area. It's going to be gone. Um, so that didn't make any sense. And then the whole thing with a guy in a suit, because nobody knew we were going up that day. No. Daryl would have had to do, you know, been in on it, and which means he'd also have to have Sean Penn caliber acting skills, crying on cue, um, and his kid is in on it, and the other, and the neighbor kid is in it. it just you know, right? That that seems less, right? So anyway, that's I that's yeah. That's the abbreviated version. Yeah. Now the longer version. <laughs> the, the, uh, the Peter Jackson cut. In, uh, <laughs> no, All right. Well, Scott, I want to have you on again at some point because I feel like I have a thousand other things I want to talk to you about. And but I am going to have to wrap this one up because okay, the wife came in and you're, you've got stuff to do. 
Yeah. So, um, but I would love to have you back on if you have free time ever um, that you could talk to us again. This is the time, <clears throat> actually, the time of the year where because I'm basically editing. Cool. So um, I am too. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. How's that going? Oh, it's uh, it's a little bit of a nightmare. I'm trying to do a rough cut right now. Um, we're working on, I I can't. We're announcing like what the next movie is next weekend at that Boggy Creek Festival. So I've got to I've got to hold back on saying anything about what is after Whitehall. But the Whitehall movie is coming together pretty well. It's it's going to be very exciting what is to your, me. Can I ask you real quick, man? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you. <clears throat> I don't know if you like to remain quiet on this or not, but because I, I, I don't actually know. I mean, what is your view? What What is your opinion on, A, the Minerva monster? Because I literally, I don't know much mm-hmm. at all about yeah. it. I, don't, I remember hearing the name and the Whitehall incident. Well, um, the Minerva incident, um, I am, I love the story. Uh, after filming the movie, there was some stuff that came out um, that made me more skeptical is all I want to say. Um, with the Whitehall thing, it's the it's so many law enforcement officials and that kind of thing yeah. that were involved in the sighting that it's like I I have a hard time just turning that one off. But I myself I am pretty skeptical of the entire <laughs> existence of Bigfoot right now. Um, but. I feel like I just need the right story to come along or have some sort of experience of my own. So that's where I'll, I'm at. I'll tell you um, just a brief, no, can I, like, one minute? Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Um, as I mentioned, if Sasquatches are real, I, I don't lean very strongly at all toward uh, paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I mean, it could be something, I don't know, you know, uh, but I don't rule it out either. You know, it's like, could it be, I mean, you know, there, there is that, the thing that happened that day on the hill, I think a short time after it happened, it reflected back, like, there is a theory, you know, like, what, what if, okay, there, let's say there's aliens, or there's interdimensional beings, and then these things, Sasquatches are like their pets, or whatever, they, I swear to God, I, as improbable as that sounds, I had that feeling, you know, that, because there was a small thing, its eyes glowed red, it was totally intensely looking at us, like, you know, yeah, <laughs> I will now mesmerize you, I'm not, again, I, I'm not leaning toward any probable, that this is probable, but, start to rain here thank god in los angeles yeah um i don't know what point i was gonna make you're trying to make is it is it just like is it just like you're trying to make sense of the thing in your own head or how does that work it's it's i feel like i'm gonna take us down another 20 minute conversation hole if i do this this yeah and and back to what i largely believe and that is i know a lot of people are they just the, the, the argument that oh, by this point in time we right. would have conclusive evidence. Right. That I, I don't buy that well, given the vast amounts of area we're talking about. Again, as I mentioned before, the history of discovery of higher primates has always been a long and arduous process. And what I would consider to be um, misplaced assumptions about forested jungly land in America 
versus, let's say, Africa. Right. Most people, oh, no, Africa is crazy dense. And, you know, much more than the Pacific Northwest. And to that, I would say BS. There are areas, lots of areas in the Pacific Northwest that if you had a gorilla-type creature, higher, uh, some type of hominid, and obviously small numbers, it's not that weird to me that... um, they could remain undetected. And the very last thing I will say is you will know, I think, the discovery they just made, it was just announced, what, two weeks ago. The two million-year-old ancestor of man, whose brain was roughly this big, two million years ago, strong evidence that they buried their dead. So when people, I think it helps bolster the argument when people speculate, well, why aren't bones found with Bigfoot? Maybe they do bury their dead. I mean, right. if something two million years ago with a brain that big, and if Bigfoots exist based on the general descriptions given of them, pretty safe to say that their brains are probably bigger than that. Probably. And mountain gorillas have been witnessed covering their dead. So if you don't have a lot, a lot of these animals, there is some type of burial. Not that crazy weird that an established bone of one of these potential creatures Scott, where can our listeners find your movies and find you online? They can find me. I'm in a mental institution. Uh, No, I hope they don't find me uh, because I'm reclusive by nature. Elusive. Like the mighty Sasquatch. (laughs) Uh, Squatchfilms.com. I have my my hiking films. I did, uh, including one on the Camino de Santiago, which was a great, lovely hike. Um, editing the one I did on Iceland earlier this year, and along with Squatching and Journey Toward, toward Squatchdom, which are both available on uh, one DVD. I am working on getting a download version of that, but the ripping that I've done to do that, I haven't been happy with, and would love to get any tips you might have on that as, like, best, because I don't have the original timeline. Right. I don't. I, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going through this exact thing right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I tried um, Handbrake, and I was getting whatever the you know the the, the funny little lines that I don't like. Hmm. Um, I just would think there's got to be a better piece of software out there to to rip it off. I will send you a link to what I used um, awesome. later, and you can let me know if it works for you. But it worked great for me. Cool. I think it's great, by the way. I did not know you were skeptical on the phenomena, and I think that's great because I think that's probably going to make... Now I know I really want to see your films because I think that's, as opposed to something like Minerva, if you had like a strong believer making that, I, I think it would probably like balance. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to keep... Minerva, the one good thing from skeptics that I do hear a lot is they like the fact that we don't... You know, try to sway people one way or the other with yeah. it. It's just the people ta- telling their stories is pretty much how it goes. So, objective documentarian. Yeah, yeah. that's that's it. Um, <laughs> Scott, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us and everything. And we are going to have you on ASAP because I have other things I want to talk to you about. Awesome, that sounds great, man. All hey, right, thanks for having me on. Cool, thanks for coming on. Okay, dude. All right, Scott. I would stick around and talk, but I got to go. Well, man, and don't get some sleep when you can and, and eat well and walk, for God's sake. Get some exercise.
Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. In the summer of 1978, a creature stirred. When I got out of the car and met the people at the house who were obviously distressed. From the creator of Sasswat, a podcast about Bigfoot. Uh, it was chained to a doghouse and, and it was found like out of its collar and, you know, dead. The first film in the Small Town Monsters series. Minerva Monster, now available at smalltownmonsters.com or Vimeo On Demand.